0: Hey, welcome to the John Paballone show. Today we have Kevin Serace. Kevin, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, so glad to be here.
0: Absolutely delighted to have you. Why don't we start off the podcast with a little description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, I've been uh, primarily building tech companies for thirty five years or so. I uh, have spent a good portion of that in the in the AI space. So I built companies, I've wrecked companies. <laughs> I've hired great people. I've hired people who want to work for me forever. I've hired people who probably never will work for me again. And all the typical things we do in our, in, in, in our careers. But I've really been fortunate to to do a lot. I've got uh, uh, just shy of 100 patents worldwide. So have been inventing all along the way. And um, boy, lots, always lots to talk about, especially in the AI field today because everyone wants to talk about it. But, but uh, lastly, I'm a keynote speaker. I do 30 to 40 keynotes a year to every different industry from you know from real estate to to kitchen repair
0: right right that makes sense so with that being said what um l- l- let's let's get into the topic of AI right because I think that's fascinating right some people love it some people hate it and some people are really unsure about it good so good <laughs>
1: and, and and look I think that's that's that is a fair response to any uh new technology so I like to liken it like this you know if you go back in history at one point the wheel showed up and there were nice big burly guys that were carrying things around that all of a sudden were kind of put out of business with the wheel right now actually they weren't because the wheel made everybody more productive so the smart guys got two wheels built a cart and all of a sudden could do a lot more than they did before and other people just went home and said life is over so you know when we when we look throughout history we look at the calculator we look at the spreadsheet it totally changed tasks that we did but it made us more productive and if you were in finance and 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 you were the you know one of those people with a pencil in a ledger line book right and all of a sudden the spreadsheet comes out you de- you go that's it my job's over except most of them became the experts on the spreadsheet and once they became experts on the spreadsheet You know that kind of changed everything right and and so that's how we're going to look at ai and gen ai is a is what everyone's talking about but it is only one instantiation of the overall ai field it's just more accessible to everybody it's the first time anyone can walk up and type in english and something happens
0: yeah, that's true. That's true. And correct me if I'm wrong, that uh AI has actually been around since what, the sixties or seventies. We just not familiar 50s.
1: with fifties, <laughs> earliest yeah. forms in the forties. We've been working on a variety machine learning is kind of a subset of AI. Look, I think artificial intelligence, which is a great term, uh, is very much uh somewhat of a marketing term and somewhat in the eyes of the beholder. So we've had various instantiations of artificial intelligence over the years, all the way back to the sixties, with uh with eliza from mit because you could type and she she eliza would answer back and you could ask her all kinds of questions and her you know reasonably legitimate things back and um and and that was cool and people said it's artificially intelligent it's eliza it's alive so um you know chat gpt and large language models continue the track towards better and better and better models that we can interface with that replicate sort of the human condition and uh, human ideas. In this case, large language models are nothing but placing a word after a word after a word. And what they do is build sentences really well. Not always accurate ones, but sentences.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now here comes the uh, big, like look, what do you think is the uh, one area of AI that that, uh, that, that scare people the most?
1: Well, I think Alon uh, well, scares people, <laughs> <laughs> maybe in many ways. Look, I think Alon and other scientists come out and say, um, we're going too fast. This is going to kill humanity. So people are people are worried about two things. One, does it somehow become like the movies and take over humanity and ruin everything? I, now, look, today's large language models are not hooked to anything but a screen, basically a computer that can write back. Right. Right. Do not hook a large language model to the nuclear arsenal. Let's just start with that. Very bad idea, right? But I wouldn't put Excel and hook it to the nuclear arsenal. Also bad. Don't yeah. do dumb things with technology, okay? Let's start with that. Second thing is everybody is worried it's going to take their job. And the truth is it's going to take a lot of the tasks that you do and change them. But large language models need humans to input, need humans to decide, need humans to edit, Um It's just, we've not had something that could speak back to us in our language. But computer programmers have had stuff that speaks back in computer code and we speak to it in computer code, right? But this is very different. All of a sudden it's talking to us in our language. And I think that's scary to a lot of people. Are there jobs that will be changed? Sure, you know, tier one customer support most of which is overseas today, probably changed forever, right? I mean, it's hard to imagine that that we're not going to replace a lot of those jobs, that task of answering the phone with uh, chatbots and, and, and virtual assistants that do a great job at that. But most jobs, certainly in the U.S., are not going to be impacted in the way I think people are thinking today. Not in the next five to 10 years.
0: Yeah, that makes a good point there, right? And it's, uh, again, when uh, robots came into the factories and factories left, uh, you know, North America, I mean, there's still some there, but everyone thought this was the end of everything and then there would be no other jobs. Reality is the jobs just shifted and changed.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, so what really took the manufacturing jobs wasn't robots; it was China.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, well, that too, right? So,
1: <laughs> and now China is automating with robots, and in fact, robotics and automation is coming along so well that we're onshoring more manufacturing than we've ever onshored in twenty years. We're bringing it back because we can do it here. Now it won't have two thousand people in the plant; it'll have two hundred but you can be just as productive now with 200 as you were with 2000. So that's a really fascinating thing. So in that case, automation is good and it'll employ more people and 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 it'll get out, get us out of the geopolitical issues of making things in China or somewhere else. So this is very exciting.
0: Right, exactly, which also brings up the point there, right? So Even if it was robots uh, doing all the manufacturing, somebody's got to fix the robot, so there's a job just with that.
1: It turns out when you automate – tasks, you lower the cost of goods and services. And when you lower the cost of goods and services, the demand for those goods and services goes up. GM installed the first robot in their factory in 1961. And they employ more people today than they did in 1961. Well, how can that be? Well, it's because that effectively drove the cost of cars down versus what they would have been had they had no automation, right? And that allowed more people to buy cars more often than they would have otherwise. Otherwise, the cheapest car would be $100,000. Actually, GM makes one car 100% by hand. It's called the Celestique uh, from Cadillac. It's over $300,000. So it costs $300,000 to make a nice car by hand, yet we can buy a $20,000 car, give or take, uh, maybe fifteen thousand that is made in a semi-automated factory. So that drives demand up, right? It drives demand up, driving demand up turns out to be the good thing. And we've done, again, we've done it throughout history. We made farming far more productive than it used to be, which effectively drove the cost and availability of food, cost down, availability up. And today, one or two percent of the country works in ag, and uh, I I think there was a time that it was sixty percent of the country worked in agriculture. So so this was a good thing. It is scary if it's your job. And I get that, right? I totally get that. But look at it this way. Your tasks are going to change, but you're still going to be involved in that field because you have the expertise the machine doesn't have.
0: Yeah, that's true. Now, w- which brings up the point here, right? Like new businesses coming in and all that, right? Like, look, we have chat GBT. We have, I'm, I'm sure that's just the most popular version of it. And I'm sure there's other. Uh, Llama, versions. Bard,
1: there are hundreds of models.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. So, what, uh, how can a typical business uh, utilize this technology?
1: Well, let's start with ChatGPT. ChatGPT is just very accessible, but so is Bard and so is Microsoft Bing Assistant and Copilot and all of that. You know, the first and easiest places to use this technology is in marketing, in writing blog posts, in summarizing papers, in So, so if I was in marketing and I used to take a day to get a blog post written, edited and up or four or five or six hours, I can now do that task in literally minutes. I can have, I can uh, uh, prompt a chat GBT to write the blog post for me. I can help it learn from other materials that I put in. I can decide what the blog post is and then I can edit that output a minute later and maybe in five or 10 minutes I post it. That's amazing. Now think about that. That That is amazing. That means I could actually, if I did a blog post a week, I could now do all 50 for the year in one week and be done and never do another blog post the rest of the year. Now, for a marketing person, most of them writing a blog post is just a small portion of their job. You've taken that very tedious thing off the plate and it's good, right? You've reduced it. You've made yourself more productive by at least 100x. That is all good and that's how they look at it this is this is good for me and i can and, and by the way everybody's behind on work and by the way there's 10 million open jobs so so it's not like you can go out and hire more people everybody's got a help wanted sign cuz there's not enough people to work the jobs so overall this kind of productivity is good and i know it's scary but that's where i would start I'd start in marketing you start in sales and sales training um uh, a, a, a website advertising social media advertising you literally can say you know, here are the current ads for my competitors, write a better one. And it'll write a better one. You can literally say, I'm having an argument with my spouse. This is what he or she said to me. In order to save my marriage, what should I say back? And and trust me, what it gives you is much better salient advice than you might have the words you might have used. (laughs) That makes sense, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So this is usable everywhere, right? What should I get my kids for Christmas? Where should we go next year on vacation? Here's the places I've been, right? Here's the things I've liked. I mean, so 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 it's endless. It isn't always correct. It's just an endless formation of sentences based on what it learned. Someone's a friend of mine yesterday told me, you know, it's just a stochastic parrot. It basically <laughs> repeats everything it learned, but it can put it together in new ways, right? It can't create something it hadn't learned. So It will, in order to form sentences, it may create absolute garbage. The sentence is perfect, but, you know, it'll give you case law that didn't exist. Or if you ask it who shot George Washington for a while, you would get William Tryon shot George Washington. Now, William Tryon only shot George Washington in a fictional novel. (laughs) So it didn't lie to you. People say it hallucinated. That's an anthropomorphic term. It picked information that it had and it provided it back, but it did so without context and so you know it's it's not wrong but it's not the answer you were looking for the answer you were looking for is who shot george washington in real life and not in a fictional novel and had you said all that you might have gotten the correct answer
0: that makes sense now what happens to copywriters because up till now many companies use copywriters to uh put things together and then uh edit them and all that stuff and uh now with ChatGPT writing all that stuff so quickly, does their well, job look, change or does it get eliminated?
1: If I'm a copywriter or if I'm an illustrator or I'm an artist, I have to become the master of these tools, period. Just like photographers became the master of Photoshop and it made all their photographs better, right? Things, so you used to take 50 shots of the same thing at different settings. Now you might take one and edit it in Photoshop. Done, right? So photoshop changed what photographers did now we can create photo realistic scenes including with me in them including me standing on mars in a spacesuit. right i don't need an illustrator i don't need a photographer i don't need a set i don't need a backdrop that's amazing so we've democratized the access to this kind of technology and technique but i don't have time to do all that i don't have time to Edit it and think about it and prompt it. And I I'd, I'd like to hire a professional, right? Right. But now that professional can get back to me in a matter of hours instead of weeks, and instead of it being thousands of dollars, maybe it's you know hundred dollars or two hundred dollars. So clearly, copywriting is changing. But I might still use a copywriter to say, look, here are the things I need. I need ten of them. I need them in a week. I need you to prompt it, create it, edit it. Please use the AI tools. Please. Because I want 10 instead of one, and the copywriter has to be an expert at at, at using the tools. Just like you would not go to a financial expert for your business. I got a real estate company. I've got a machining company. I've got a dry cleaner, whatever it is. I wouldn't go to someone in accounting and say, I'd like you to do it all by pencil. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, you wouldn't because for 30 years, we've had Excel. right? And we've had Quicken and QuickBooks and things like that. We would expect them to use the tools of the trade, which for thousands of years was a pencil. And then for the last 30 years has been a computer. You would expect them to use the computer. So when you go to a copywriter, you will expect them to use the tools of the trade. And if they don't, you probably wouldn't hire them. You'll go, I'm sure they say, well, I would never use a large language model. Okay. Do you know someone who does? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I need, I need to get work done. Right. That's that, that's the job.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you on that. So yeah, there's plenty of opportunities with that, even in the industry. So yeah, it's not eliminating the industry. It's just changing how it works
1: Very now, much. Y- making them more productive. If I'm a copywriter, I'm now a hundred times more productive than I was a hundred times more productive. And I know, look, I, I, I think people have a lot of ego and pride. I don't mean in a bad way, a lot of ego and pride about what they do. It's as if I came to you and said, which I can say today, after this podcast, <clears throat> For maybe if you had this podcast for years, you used to re-listen to it all and make a summary and get that summary up and look for keywords and all of that. You can now go speech to text, feed it to a large language model, and it will give you the summary and you'll be done instead of spending 2 hours summarizing you'll be done in 3 minutes. And and so a lot of podcasters are doing that. What I see is that the summaries are as good or better than what you might have spent the 2 hours on or 3 hours. So now you can be more productive in your podcast. That doesn't mean that there's no job for you. It's just that summarization wasn't that important. It was important, but it, it's it's a machine can do a really good job at it now and you should be happy that the machine can do that if that makes sense right yep
0: yep yep absolutely now here comes the other thing let's uh, look at the education system or and program should i say now that is going to be affected by uh, this as well because a lot of people are trying to use chat gpt to do their homework
1: so and they are right and people use calculators to do their homework we we kind of gave up banning that right we kind of gave up banning in math people using calculators because they do. And I'm on the board of Rochester Institute of Technology. We've talked about this a lot. The right thing to do is educate students on using the new tools because they're going to use them whether you like it or not. And they're going to have to use them when they go to work. Like, no one, I would not hire a marketing person today if they said, well, I don't know what a large language model is. I go, then I'm going to get another candidate. That's, you know, so if you're coming out of school today and you've never used one, have you been under a rock? Right. Of course you've used it. Of course you used it for all your classes. But let me give you another example. When is the last time you did long division by hand?
0: Oh, you got a point there. It's been a very long time.
1: Fourth grade, fifth grade. I don't know why. Because there's a machine that does that now. There's a machine that does that. In fact, it's not a skill you will ever use again. Will you ever need to do long division by hand with a pencil? Ever?
0: No. Probably not. <laughs> no.
1: So some people would say, but isn't it a great skill to have and it teaches you, but it's not a skill we we use anymore. You know, carrying something uphill on our back because there are no wheels isn't a skill we use anymore. There are lots of things we don't use anymore. In general, we're not crushing grapes for wine with our feet because we have grape crushers, right? That's not a skill that's needed any longer. And and so I think what's going to happen is we're going to realize that writing a first first draft is no longer a skill that's necessarily needed. Wanted Or even cared about. And when I say that, people are going to be horrified and they're going to write terrible things on here. And (laughs) our kids need to learn to write. But no, our kids need to learn to use Excel, period. We wouldn't argue that. Of course they do. Um, And they're going to need to use large language models. And they are. And you can't stop them. So I say embrace it. Teach them how to use these tools correctly. Teach them how to prompt. Teach them how to edit. Teach them how to fact check because they're not all accurate. Those are the things that are going to be important. But if you think some student is going to write a five-page essay all by the... It's ridiculous. And by the way, since Google, they really haven't written a five-page essay exactly by themselves. They've been looking and reading and, of course, rewriting so that it didn't get picked up by some software. But there's a reason that every school had software to look for plagiarism because... They, it searched the entire web to see if any of these phrases exactly showed up that way, you know, w- without attribution. Uh, so, so kids have been using these tools, and now they're just using a large language model. And now there probably is no way to catch that. It gets very difficult. And so just assume they are. How do I, how do, I do a class where I know they are? Okay, if you really want to teach them how to write, then what you do is you bring them into class, you close the computers, you give them a pencil, and you say, in the next 30 minutes, write a one-page essay simply from your mind with a pencil. And maybe they do that once, and maybe they do it twice. They will never need to do it again in their life. There's a machine that does that, period. That's it. It's, it's, It's not a useful skill. Sorry. Sorry, I you know yes oh, no, I get it if you're a novelist, you want to write your own novels? I get that, and it's the creativity of the human mind great that's great, please, please do, but in general, most people will never write in that way paragraphs and paragraphs again by themselves ever, even if you were summarizing data, you'd feed the data into a into a model and get the summary back, and you'd check the summary for facts that's what you do
0: yeah, you're right, you're absolutely right. Uh- There's certain parts of it that I'm kind of uh, conflicted with, and I'm gonna go with the whole calculator thing. Yeah. And uh, like the, you know, like I'll give you an example, like people just don't know how to add or subtract or multiply or divide anymore. They can't do any of that without a calculator. Yeah. And that's fine because like we said, most people will use a calculator all the time, but I'm finding that since that's been happening, there's also a sense of logic that's been missing. And I'll give you an example. Now, when I was younger, we used to go to a uh, coffee shop here, and all the time, my, my brother-in-law before passed. This is a long time ago. Uh, he would, uh, we would go there, and he's like, "No, no, let me pay." And I'm like, "Why?" I'm like, "No, no, trust me." Oh, okay. If he wants to pay. I'll take the free coffee. I'm not going to argue. But um, the person would put the, co- the, uh, the 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 you know the coffees into the till and all that. He'd hand him a ten dollar bill. Because the bill would just say be $8, as an example. Give him a $10 bill, and he would get changed for a 20 every single time. And it's well, almost- you should go
1: there more often, I guess, and bankrupt the place. I mean, um, well, but but, but most- the point
0: is that uh, there's a lot, like, it's, this is not an uncommon story. It's, what I'm saying right. is that sense of logic has disappeared where sure. people can't put it together.
1: Critical thinking. Correct. So, so, look, critical thinking skills are something we should be teaching in school, and that has nothing to do with the calculator or not. It has to do with the ability to look at a problem and critically think through the solution. And um, I, I see kids, I see a lot of people, It's not just kids coming out of college, but across the board, missing critical thinking skills. I don't know if that's because they played video games for the last 20 years or whatever they did, but, but no question critical thinking skills are, are important and are required to use a large language. You gotta critically think about what you want to prompt and what you want in. And then you have to critically think about everything that came out and is it accurate and is it what you want to say from your voice? And, um, and that does require more skills than, um, you know, than someone who's giving this no thought, right? So critical thinking skills are critical. Look, I think basic math skills are, are, are still important, but there's no question everyone in the last 20, you know, everyone under 30 certainly has grown up with a calculator since they were one. Right. And it was just around and it, they were free basically. And then, ex- really, for the last 30 years, Excel has been available to you and you kind of grew up with that. So you weren't really thinking through the math problems as much. And that may mean in the future, most humans don't do math by themselves. Uh, but they're not required to at work, by the way, except in the case that you give. Although, even that's fading because most, many, many places don't take cash anymore. So, you know, you just put the credit card in it charges actually. You just tap your phone and you leave, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what everybody's doing. Who's got cash anyway? I was I was at some place and they only took cash. I go, you've got to be kidding. I don't even know what to do. Where will I go to get some? Where's the Where's the nearest ATM? Do they still have them, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Less and less people carry cash and it's very rare to uh, use it. Um, In fact, let's even go a step further. What's happening is that's being automated too. I mean, you go into a coffee shop and when you see three big screens, Yes, you still have the person at the counter, but what are those three big screens? Ways where you can put your order in, order from the screen, and then pick it up at the end of the counter.
1: And pay right there. Pay on the screen. Yeah, Just show up. I'm order number 23. Boom. There it is. Goodbye. And you have to do that because there's not enough labor. You can't get enough people to work in the coffee shop. If you can't get enough people to work in the coffee shop, it's not about automating because you don't want to pay people. It's actually automating because I can't get anyone to do the work.
0: Right. Well, here's yeah this is my perspective okay we're gonna open up this can of worms and i kind of uh believe that um and this is my theory and i believe what ended up happening was that uh i don't believe that there's enough people that uh you know you can't like you can't get enough people i uh, in terms of that there's not enough people out there to work i believe that what happened is i'll give you will use uh that COVID. Pandemic, pandemic, whatever way you wanna look sure. at it. And we'll use that how everything closed down. What happened before is people would get, uh, I don't wanna say abused, but they would get pushed so far that and they would be scared to leave because what will I do? I don't have any options. So they just take it. Now, when everything shut down, what that did is I don't think it changed the future. I just think it brought the future in quicker. And what ended up happening is people realized is I don't have to take this. They're, I have options, and they learned those options when everything was closed down because they had to. Mm-hmm. So other opportunities came for them, and they never want back to these jobs because why would you go Agreed. and work for minimum wage sure. when you found opportunities to make money? No question. Even if it's the same money and you can work at home for the same money, why would you do the no old question. stuff?
1: No question. I mean, here's the problem, right? The numbers are the numbers: three point six percent unemployment and ten million open jobs. That's it. Yeah. So people yeah. found jobs. It's not that they aren't working. It's just they don't want those jobs. <clears throat> and no one wants those jobs, you know? so so with three point six unemployment, we're fully employed, basically, right? Everyone who wants to work is working. and and I know I say that, and there's going to be someone who says, "I want to work and I can't find a job." I, I mean it statistically across the country. I don't mean any individual, right? And I understand right, there's right. individual situation, but anything under five percent unemployment is, amazing and under 4% is crazy so we are at 3.6% unemployment there's countries in Europe that have 15% unemployment right we are 3.6% unemployment and about 10 million open jobs and i and 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 those jobs are all over the gamut right so so we're not going to solve that and 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 really the 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 root cause of that is a decline in the birth rate in the united states for 40 years <clears throat> and an increase in productivity for 40 years meaning that Companies are trying to grow, which means they would like to get more people, but they can't because the birth rate's gone down and more people are retiring than are coming into the workforce, right? So we're at a precipice where we need automation to fill in those tasks we can't get people to do, right? And that could be picking strawberries in a field. It could be, uh, you know, serving or, or coffee. It could be, I think most McDonald's are going to kiosk ordering, because you place your order and you, you know, there's a human at the counter is going to give you your order right now. We're going to see that. We're going to see more automatic fry machines and things like that where just makes the fries and does its thing and there's no human around it. Uh, we're going to have to because there's not enough people who want to stand over the fry machine and cook fries all day. There's not enough people to do it. They have other jobs. They found other jobs and there's other jobs that are open. So um, so that's that's the employment situation. Again, I think driven by these macroeconomic Things, yeah, yeah. people having less babies, not bringing as many people into the country—it just is what it is, right? So we're the country is generally speaking fully employed, and um, and so we're going to have to use automation. So that's the good news, right? When we talk about making people more productive, that's actually good. That's not about eliminating jobs. It's that filling in the jobs that we couldn't fill anyway. You know, if you're at a company and you've got ten openings, I don't, I can't find the ten people. So I need some automation to help me to to reduce that burden.
0: Right, right, absolutely. See, I I kind of agree with everything you're saying. It's uh, interesting, and in this perspective I've been preaching. Now I'll give you an example, right? Like like even with the education system, right? Like I've been knocking it for the last couple of years, and not in a negative. Well, it is negative, but not in a way that I like prime example, like i was saying that uh, today's education or up until now has been pretty useless. And I don't mean it in the way that uh, people should not be educated anymore. I meant it that, that the, the curriculum has been so outdated and it needs such a major, you know, overhaul that, you know, to become more relevant to today's technology.
1: I think that's right. Look, look, our curriculums were laid out probably in the 60s, right? And you know, people have to take this much history and this much English and this much this and this much that. There, there are arguments that say that may need some rebalance and rethinking, right? In terms of what people are expected to do today. I don't think very many people would say we are ecstatic about the quality of public education in the United States. Uh, for whatever reason, lots of reasons, you know, we are not top of game compared to the rest of the world in in any testing, in anything. Countries in Asia blow us away, right? Right, right. That is not to take anything away from all my friends who are teachers and are working their tail off and care about the students. So something has happened in the system for a few decades that is not producing as good of an outcome as what is getting produced in other countries. And that that should be concerning to us. Um, Many people have tried to fix it, from Mark Zuckerberg to others, and have abandoned it and gave it up and said this is just too hard. There there are many reasons for that. There's too many rules, there's you got to get through state systems and local systems and you just you know there's whatever 50,000 school districts or some crazy number and you finally you just throw your hands up and say I can't fix this, right? Because education in the United States is not driven by the federal government, it's at the local level. Your local school district has its own school board that's elected locally and and that school board probably has to meet state criteria for education but uh, and some federal criteria. So it's not like you can go to the feds and say fix education. They have very little to do with it. You can't go to your mayor and say fix education. They have nothing to do with it whatsoever, right? It's this independent thing that's an independent school board and normally with a lot of parents on it. And um, and so, you know, we may have built a system that over 200 years is no longer producing, you know, the finest outcome in students, despite the fact our teachers are working very, very hard and they're very good and, you know, they should be thanked and they go into these schools. Some of the school districts are very difficult with very difficult children and all of those things. So, you know, again, not a knock on teachers at all, but the system is not producing the right outcomes. Where I think if you look at the countries where you are getting good outcomes, it is driven from their federal government right it's driven from the top yes and they've set standards and they've updated those standards annually and that's the standard for the country and th- that standard is measured and driven and driven and driven and maybe that centralized system is better for education maybe i don't know but that's that's that'd be one thing to look at but we don't have that and there's no no putting the genie back in the bottle
0: true 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 Well, I think it is possible. I just don't think that, I think it's a big undertaking. And I think there's so many other issues going on in the world that they're like, well, within the country that, uh, that's more pressing to them, right. That they're not willing to take it on.
1: I just don't know how, you know, you take all these local school boards and all of the states that have jurisdiction on education and somehow put it under some big federal mandate, right? It's, it's, it's pretty tough to do. There are some federal standards you know as we know but again most of this is left up to local school boards and states and um and this is a nation of states it is a nation of states it is not yeah a, 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 you know a country in the traditional way <clears throat> and i think we forget that we think about it around election time when you go why are you know why are there this many electors from this state and that many like because it's a nation of states these are states that vote these are states that set rules these are states that set guidelines. There are states that set most of the laws. Most of the laws that you live with in your state and taxes and everything else are set by the state. It's a union of states. So, um, so I think we've, you know, we've got a situation that is challenging. Now, some states have better outcomes than others in terms of education. California, even though it spends the most, has one, not one of the best outcomes. It's middle or, or lower middle of the pack, which is interesting. And some of these states that spend the least have some of the best outcomes. I'm unsure why, but all that could be looked into, right?
0: Absolutely. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, you're absolutely right. Now, what would you say going forward is going to be the biggest challenge in rolling out all this uh, technology?
1: Well, I, I, look, I think um, people who've been in the workforce for a long time are hesitant to use these tools. Um, uh, they're uncomfortable with it. They think it's going to take their... All of their meaningful life, etc. But um, the young people coming in—they're—they're they're on it. Since ChatGPD came out, they were the first ones on it. They're using the free version, but it doesn't matter. And so they're coming in with all this knowledge. And how are you going to manage them? You know, you're 55, 60, and you just hired a 25-year-old, and they blow you away on these tools. And you think you know everything about—I don't care what it is—advertising, promotion, sales, training, customer support. Uh, financial analysis, and then these kids come in and they just blow you away, and they're a 1,000 times more productive than anything you've ever seen. So you also, at 60 or even 70, if you're managing them, you also have to learn these so that uh, um, you're not surprised and shocked and dumbfounded by it. That's the last thing you want a manager to be. Wow, I've never seen anyone do that. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know how to manage someone who does that. Well, that's not going to work. Right. You have to add value. You have to do this. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely. And again, I think it's, I believe that that either you're growing or dying in life and it's really up to you to choose which version you're going to
1: play out. You know, one of the things I talk about is curiosity. Um, so I'm curious, like I'm curious about new technologies all the time. Right. So I want to, uh, uh, um, you know, embody myself in them and bury myself in them. Now, I've been sort of at the forefront of applied AI, which is applying these AI technologies to real problems since the mid nineties, when I worked on uh, the first virtual assistants and those became today, Siri and Alexa and everything else. So, um, so I'm just curious. And I think curiosity in life is just a great thing. People who aren't curious end up sitting in front of the TV most of the time. Right. But if you're curious, (laughs) you want to learn all about this and you want to read about it and you want to try it. Why? It's the, it's new and, and it, and it keeps your brain active. So everybody does their own thing. Right. A lot of people go, I just want to retire. I don't want anything to do with this. Okay. It's fine. I can't see my myself doing that in that way. I love the curiosity and I love learning, and that's what's led to you know all all these patents in so many different fields.
0: Yeah, yep, absolutely. See, that's the thing, right? I have that curious nature as well. I've always been that way, and um, like TV really bores me. I, I I just turn it on to fall asleep. I turn it on, and if I can't sleep. Turn on, Turn the, on TV the TV, button, you put on
1: the, on the sleep timer. The next thing you know, it's morning.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. It's just, but that's just me. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, if somebody yeah. wants to do it, then go Everybody's ahead. Everybody's got their own right, thing. But like, yeah, I don't but watch sports,
1: very... which is no. terrible. I don't watch sports. Why? I'm bored by it. I I think of. I'm sitting there. I'm going, look at all the things I could do instead of watching this game. And this is no knock on all my friends who watch sports, right? And follow teams and all of that. It's like, I don't have the time. I'm busy. And I'm inventing and I'm building companies and building new technologies that I hope will solve real problems for the world. It's what I want to do. And I'm out and, you know, all these keynote talks is, uh, which I love, Um, there's so much knowledge to share. And I think there's, there is a certain point in life where that's what you want to do is share the knowledge that you gained um, with the next generation and generations. And, uh, and so I really, really enjoy that.
0: Absolutely. And again, like my curiosity is exactly that does all that for me, right? Like prime example, look at the podcast. I don't have any prepared notes. And in fact, most of the time when I come on, I'm not even sure who I'm interviewing <laughs> uh, other than a name, right? right. And that's true. not because because I'm lazy. It's just one of those things that I, I'm very self-aware. And I know the way that I operate the best is to lead through my curiosity. Right. And as people talk, I start having questions and I follow through with those questions, right. which is really how my podcasts go.
1: Right, right. And everybody does it different. You know, some people come really prepared. They have questions and this and that. Other people, look, we're just going to have a conversation and my 50 to 50,000 million listeners, whatever it is, they'll, you know, they'll enjoy the conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's the perspective I try to come across, right? So, it's, you know, I, and I'm sure if I'm curious about something or I have questions, I'm sure other people are wondering too.
1: Right, I, I think that's right. And the questions you asked about AI, you know, everybody's wondering: Is it going to kill me? Are we going to die? Is it going to take all the jobs? You know, I'm I'm giving you the perspective of someone who's worked in the field for for decades, and and we said this, you know, we said this frankly in the '70s, and again in the '80s, and again in the '90s, and then when uh, 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 um, <clears throat> IBM Deep Blue won it at, at chess, and uh, finally, then we saw. Um, IBM Watson win at Jeopardy. That's it. It can answer all the Jeopardy questions. It's smarter than us, right? So we've been going (laughs) through these these phases, right? But um, this is just another phase. And again, it's just another tool and it's another set of tools and please use them. And and there are lots and lots of other companies that have wrapped themselves around these large language model engines that can help you uh, really take on very specific tasks. So they've They've been able to to train uh, the engine with a process called embedding that makes it answer really, really well in a very specific area. And I think that's exciting and powerful because it because it it democratizes access to this technology to everyone. Any anyone can use it.
0: Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So where do you see yourself going with this in, over the next five years?
1: Well, I'm working on a number of things. Uh, cybersecurity is one of them um, because with large language models comes more of a cybersecurity problem. I know everyone knows what 2FA and MFA are, like codes on your phone and things like that. Every major ransomware hack over the last year also hacked the MFA. So your MFA is not secure at all, whatsoever. Now, most ransomware artists aren't going after you. Personally, this is an enterprise problem, but enterprises know those methods are no longer, what's called legacy MFA is no longer secure so um so there's a next generation mfa uh working with a company called token ring and they make a ring literally a ring that's tied to your fingerprint and so it's a biometric ring and it only works on your finger with your fingerprint that's the only way you get access to your applications this is an enterprise class product today it's not for consumers but um it really um stops the vast majority of ransomware there's just no way around it there's no there is no mfa code there's no code to give anyone So cybersecurity is important because these large language models, the open source ones are being used without guardrails to create phishing emails that are indistinguishable from real, indistinguishable. An expert can't distinguish it. So all that phishing email training that people went through won't matter, What won't matter. You won't be able to detect it. So there's that AI for software quality company called AppFance. We're working on improving software quality. So AI finds all the bugs rather than teams of people finding bugs that is just going great, it's gangbusters. So it's really uh, it's really fun working with a company that uh, can help cities uh, uh, review uh, new plans for business codes to meet code, for building codes, excuse me. And uh, this is very important because some cities are backed up one to two years in uh, in reviewing plans and this can do it in five minutes. So again, leveraging AI in a way that helps the cities be more productive. The cities are all backed up and they don't have enough code reviewers. So this is a huge help to them. Um, those are some of the things. And, I, and look, I see, I see a time in five to 10 years when, even less, when these tools are just with us every day. Microsoft is releasing Copilot across the Office family. So Copilot is in Word, in Excel, in PowerPoint. They're just there to help you, you know, just like Grammarly was. So it's very exciting. It's the most exciting time ever, really
0: yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And that's the thing. I That's what I believe what technology does. Technology gives people more opportunities if they're willing to learn it.
1: If you're curious.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which brings up the next question. You know, for uh, generations to come, you know, who are deciding what route they want to take in life, what would you say would be the top three industries that people should focus sure. on if, for, you know, forward thinking?
1: Yeah. Uh, plumber, HVAC repair, things like that. You're going to laugh because it's not coding. Everyone's going to be a coder, everyone, because you'll be able to code in English. So programming will just be anyone can do it um, if you look out five to 10 years. But these complex, unique situations, every home is somewhat unique. And if you have a plumbing problem in the home, it could be anywhere. And creating a robot that could fix your plumbing, it's technically possible, but would be you know, it's it's a $50 billion project or something, it would be ridiculous, right? Nobody's gonna do that, nobody's gonna take that on. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to, to create robots and AI that deal with plumbing, HVAC and these individual unique things. And part of the reason is that it all starts to look like noise, since every home is different, it's just a very noisy database, right? of what's wrong and how the home is is built differently than another home. So I just don't see uh, uh, us doing that. And there, and there's a, a great lack of people doing the work, number one. Number two, it pays a freaking fortune if you if you had your plumbing or HVAC repaired lately. So it turns out these are really good ideas. this go into these sort of uh, uh, careers that we've sort of let go for a long time. I'll give you another example because I spoke to them uh, a few months ago in a keynote. Our... The the people who repair restaurant kitchen equipment. Yes. So you know if you're in a restaurant and the sous vide, this is a hot water bath, dies like, and you've got 300 people coming that night. I need it repaired now. Well, there's not enough repair people. They put you on the list, and it'll come in three weeks. How are you going to make 300 lobster tails? How are you ever going to do it? You don't have enough ovens. You don't have. Any, I mean, it had to be done. In the sous vide. There's no other way to make that many lobster tails. So. This is actually a huge problem, and there's not enough people who go in, and there's not enough people who have the knowledge of how the equipment works. It's very hard to train them. So there is real value in things that you work on, you know, with your hands and brain that uh, need to be done for decades and decades and decades to come. The equipment's not going to fix itself. So I think there's, a you know… That, those are some of the areas where like, you got job security till you're dead.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I find this funny, right? Because I'm sure uh, we grew up uh, around the same era where, uh, you know, parents saying, you know, hey, you got to go to school because you don't want to become a plumber. Right. It and turns like, out like, become a plumber. You do become a
1: plumber. <laughs> yeah. it pay, it, it, right now, it can pay in some areas more than almost more than programming. You know, more than most other fields.
0: Absolutely right. Because again, it's all a supply and demand. That's what I think people uh, yeah. forget.
1: And there's no supply, and there's lots of demand. The demand hasn't gone down. Plumbing breaks, HVAC breaks, kitchen equipment, and you know, cooking equipment at the hotel breaks. Right, and it all has to be addressed. And again, a robot just is not set up to address it. It would be in, in ridiculously expensive. So, so I, I think a lot of those skills, those crafts that people used to go to BOCES or other schools, you know, for um, not college uh, are really good places to hide out and far away from AI.
0: 100%. Awesome. All right. In light of time, I'm going to come down to the last two questions. Okay. Uh, okay. It's, second last question is going to be, how do you know you've had a successful day?
1: Every day is a successful day. First of all, you know when you wake up and you look up and there is a ceiling and there's a room and you're not inside a casket. This is a good day. If you wake up and you look and the, you know, the ceiling is right here and you can't get out cuz it's locked, bad day, right? But yeah, yeah. I think anytime you wake up and you're alive, it's it's now the day is what you make of it. And of course there's good things that happen and bad things that happen. With family, with friends, with work. Who cares? that is life. I mean, it just life isn't perfect, right? Life has all of these ups and downs, and we'll always have those ups and downs. So, so why not just live each day to its fullest and uh, wake up with high dopamine and go to sleep with high dopamine and just look at all the positive things that happen in your day, even in a horrific day, even in the day that you get fired. <clears throat> you can say, hey, look at all the extra time I have to now go find a better job for my next stage of my career, right? There's just never a bad day. And sometimes companies make it and sometimes they don't. And when your company doesn't make it and you started it, whatever, and you know, it isn't you, you are you don't associate yourself that closely, but I opened these five dry cleaners and and we went bankrupt. Okay. What else would you like to do in life? Maybe dry cleaning isn't a good business anymore. That's fine. What is there another business that you'd like? Well, I always wanted to go in the restaurant business, fine. Or I wanted to go into the pay, whatever, it doesn't matter. Come up with something else to do. You can always, always contribute to society in new ways. So there's never a bad day. They're all good days.
0: Love that. All right, last but not least, if someone sees this and is looking for you or wants to reach out to you, where would they go?
1: Yeah, kevinserace.com. That's just my last, my full name and uh, .com. And my LinkedIn is there, so you can click on it. You can direct message me on LinkedIn. I do answer them. Uh, That's a super easy way to get me, and it gives you all the details on uh, how to book me for a keynote speech and all of that.
0: Fantastic. Kevin, this has been phenomenal.
1: Yeah, it's really been fun. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolute pleasure. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to The John Papaloni Show.